Today we ask a question. Does God care how we worship him? Could be a short sermon, yes. We could just leave if you guys wanted to. Does God care how we worship him? So far we've answered three questions in this sermon series. Uh, We've done our best to look at what is worship. Uh, We did our best to answer who can worship. You remember we're made in the image of God. We all worship something. It's just the problem is we don't all worship God like we're supposed to. Uh, We also answered last week, we tried our best to look at who is it that we worship. And hopefully that was a little sobering uh, to think about the fact that when we gather together, even this morning, we are here to worship a holy God of which we are not holy and we're not God. We're not here to worship ourselves. We are here to worship him and him alone. But we do have a question that lies before us this morning is does God, the holy God, care then how we worship him? Again, most of us would answer with a resounding yes, right off the bat. We would say, yes, of course he cares how we worship him. And of course, as the people of God, we would think that God does want us to worship him and he cares something about how we worship him. Yet I wonder how many of us have studied this. I wonder, do we really believe he cares? And do we then know what he wants from us in our worship? Could you have a conversation with somebody this morning about what God expects from us in our worship, even this morning as we gather together, or in your life individually in family worship or in private worship? Hopefully over the next few weeks, we'll be able to preach through this series and dive into the depths of these different areas and these questions. I know next week the focus will be on family worship and private worship. What does that mean? How, how do we do that? Where do we see this scripturally? And then how, how do we do that? How do we go about uh, doing that? And so hopefully we'll be able to answer this question a little better because if I'm honest, growing up, being a Christian since I was about seven, if you asked me, how does the Bible say to worship? I would have said, how we do it, I guess. I don't know. Uh, it's just what I would have assumed. I wouldn't have thought that how we did it mattered too much, I probably would have said, yeah, it matters, but it's different for everybody. But there are some biblical guidelines to this, and I, we're going to get to that, like I said, in the next couple weeks. But this morning, I want us to see very clearly and resoundedly that God does care how we worship. So the holy God that we talked about last week does have an opinion on our worship and how we do it. And so first off, I want to point us to Genesis chapter 1, looking at verses 1 through 5 and also verse 31 uh, together. It says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, Let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night, and there was evening, and there was morning the first day. If you jump into verse 31, it says, And God saw everything he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning 
the sixth day. I read that because I want us to know the fact that God, our creator, the one who created all things, when he created all things, he did it with an order in mind. And so we live within order today because our God creator created order. So when our children go to school, they learn uh, certain things like math. And they go to a class called science or physics or biology. And the reason that we can have those classes is because God has created order so that these things actually work. Two plus two always equals four. Why? Because we don't live in chaos. We live in order. We live in structure, right? In science, our scientists, many who are very smart, can learn how fast the earth is rotating, how far it is from the sun, and all these different things they learn, and they know that it really needs to be exactly that way in order for life to be sustained here on this earth. And why does it happen? Why has it been happening for so long? Because God created order. He has designed for this planet that we're on to circle around the sun that gives us light at the same speed, the same time, each and every day. You know, pretty soon here, we're not gonna see the sun for a couple months, but it's still coming up. It's just behind the gray, but it's there. It's still sustaining life because God has established order. And we see that very early on in Genesis. And there at the end in verse 31, he created what? Evening. In morning, there was order. There was, there was structure. But God didn't just create order within creation and within math and science and things of that nature. We also see in scripture, if we were to continue to read, that God created order within society. Marriage. He's created order there. What it should look like. How it should be done. Who it should be with and among. Parents and children in that relationship. We saw this in, a, in Ephesians. Pastor Scott preached that message. We see that God actually has established rules and way for this to happen. Children, obey your parents, right? Fathers, train and discipline your children. Care for them. Parents are encouraged to train your children up in what? In the ways of the Lord. The fear of the Lord, to know the Lord. God has given us order with our, with our children. God's even given us order with our, with our work, with our bosses. So if you're a boss and you have employees, or if you're one of the employees and you have a boss, how that should function what that should look like, how we should do that. Kings with their subjects, how this works. Slaves and their masters, how that should work. And even within civil government, the Bible even speaks to that in our relationship with our civil government and how that should function and what that should, should look like. These are all to function and work according to God's design and his order because that's how God works within order and within design. God even goes on and he gives us laws to live by for these relationships, how they can thrive, how they can function well. And it is within these laws that God also speaks to us about what I wanna focus on this morning, and that is worship. He gave Israel laws within worship and he's given us ways of worship as well. In Exodus chapter 20, Verses three through six, we're back in the 10 commandments. Last yesterday, or last week, we looked at the first commandment. 
Today, I want us to look at the second commandment. We're gonna read the first one too. So verses three through six in Exodus 20. It says, you shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers and the children to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. So here within the first two commandments, God lays out for us order within worship. That's what he's speaking to. First, he alone is to be worshiped. We talked about that last week. He alone is to be worshiped. He alone is to be praised. So when we gather together, or you as a Christian in your life, in your private life, there is only one person who to be worshiped, and that is God, nothing else. And we constantly have to be checking ourselves to make sure that it's God we're worshiping, usually not ourselves. That's usually what we tend to worship is us. So we have to make that our focus. But then God goes into the second commandment, and in the second commandment, he states how this should be played out or how it shouldn't be played out. He says what? Worship me alone. Don't carve an image of me. Don't make any images of me. Don't, don't form something and bow down and worship that. That is not what you are supposed to do. And so right away in the Ten Commandments, we have a rule within our worship of what not to do. Don't do this. Now, some people, artistic people, would say, but God, the way that I would worship you is to draw you. That is a break of the second commandment. Don't do that. You're like, but I want to just share with you how I feel. I'm gonna tell you, God's saying, I don't care. I'm telling you, do not worship me in that way. There should be no images of me. You don't write this down. You don't, you don't form this because I am not to be worshiped in that way. And you look already, that makes some of us feel uncomfortable. Pastor Tim, you're stepping on my toes of how I want to worship. God gave me this artistic ability. He gave me this creativeness and it's what I want to give back to him. I want to paint him a portrait for him. Well, that's great. You can want to do that all you want. But in the order of worship that God has set very early on, as he says, no carved images, no likeness. Don't do that. Don't bow down to that because then what are you doing? You're just worshiping something you created. That's all you've done. And then I'm not the only God. You've set up something else. Legan Duncan actually has a book called Does God Care How We Worship? It's a pretty good book. And in it, I'm talking about this second commandment. He said, this reminds us that there are two ways to commit adultery. Number one, we can worship something other than the true God, or we can worship the true God in the wrong way. Now, I don't know if you've ever thought of it that way, but I know when I read that, I kinda, I kinda my stomach got a little tight. And I start to think, man, maybe I should focus, how, am I worshiping the right way? Because that's exactly what's happening here. And you remember when Moses is up on the mountain and he's receiving the law from God, we, we read, remember Exodus 19, that God was gonna show his glory to the people. Don't touch the mountain or you're gonna die. Don't let any of your animals get close to the mountain, you're gonna die. You remember poor little Moses is the one, you go up on the mountain. Go talk to him, okay? 
And he goes, and what does God do? God establishes and gives him the law, the Ten Commandments. And so Moses is up there with, with God, and he's receiving the law from God. And do you remember what Israel is doing right away? Do you recall what they were doing right away? Right away they had a problem, didn't they? Because they said, uh, there's an issue. Moses has been gone for too long. We need to set up worship here. Let's do something. And so then they, what do they do? They, they take all their gold and they make an image of a golden calf because they wanted something they could see and follow. And so they worshiped this calf. Moses, you're just taking too long. Moses, we don't see you. We don't see our leader. They had just seen the mountain shake. They had just watched it tremble. They had seen lightning and thunder and they had heard all of this. And in no time at all, they're forming this image of God to worship. But notice what God accuses Israel of. In Exodus 32, verse 8, this is what God accuses Israel of. They have turned aside quickly out of the way I commanded them. They have made for themselves a golden calf and had worshiped it and sacrificed to it and said, these are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. Now, what is he angry about? They're not doing what I said. I've told them how to worship and they're not doing it. That's the problem. That's the issue that is coming up here in Exodus with Israel. They've decided they've come up with their own way to worship. And God says, I'll have nothing to do with that. As you go into Deuteronomy chapter 11 and 12, and you can turn there because we're going to look there in a little bit. But in Deuteronomy 11 and 12, we see God tell Israel their need to worship him alone according to his order. And it really gets laid out. In Deuteronomy 10, God gives Israel new tablets of the law because when Moses came down, he saw what they were doing. He throws them and the tablets break. And so in Deuteronomy 10, God in his grace and in his mercy writes it again. He gives it to them again. And so that's what we see in Deuteronomy 10. They receive the law from God again. And then in Deuteronomy 11 and 12, we see this law being read and dealt with. And at the end of Deuteronomy chapter 11, verses 26 to 32, really talking about private worship here, it says, See, I am setting before you today a blessing and a curse. The blessing if you obey the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you today, and the curse if you do not obey the commandments of the Lord your God. But turn aside from the way that I am commanding you today to go after other gods that you have not known. And when the Lord your God brings you into the land that you are entering to take possession of it, you shall set the blessing on Mount Gerizim and the curse on Mount Ebal. Are they not beyond the Jordan, west of the road, toward the going down of the sun in the land of the Canaanites who live in the Arabah, opposite Gilgal, beside the Oak of Morah? For you are to cross over to the Jordan to go in to take possession of the land that the Lord your God is giving you. And when you possess it and live in it, you shall be careful to do all the statutes and all the rules that I am setting before you today. So let's stop there. This is talking to Israel as they enter the land of promise. God is saying, now remember, there is an order to which I want you to do this. As you enter this land, as you live in this land, there is an order of how I want you to live. You are to obey everything that I am commanding you to do. The people don't have the right to say, well, God, you live on my heart, therefore, 
Just everything I do is worship to you. I'm just gonna just go and do it and you're gonna be appreciative of it. No, you're gonna live how I tell you to live. Do it this way because this is what's honorable to me. So this is what he sets out for Israel with their private worship. They must live according to all his laws each day and to glorify him. And this is how they glorify him. Live according to my laws. Do the things I tell you to do. Well, then if you go to Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy chapter 12, in verses eight through 14, all of a sudden God is getting specific again, but this time it has to do not with their private worship and their life of how they're living necessarily, but now he's starting to talk to them about their worship together, their public worship. So beginning in verse eight, he says, you shall not do according to all that we are doing here today, everyone doing whatever is right in his own eyes. For you have not as yet come to the rest and to the inheritance that your Lord, your God is giving you. When you go over the Jordan and live in the land that the Lord, your God is giving you to inherit, and when he gives you rest from all your enemies around so that you live in safety, then to the place that the Lord your God will choose to make his name dwell there, there you shall bring all that I command you, your burnt offerings, your sacrifices, your tithes, and the contribution that you present, and all your finest vow offerings that you vow to the Lord, and you shall rejoice before the Lord your God, you and your sons and your daughters, your male servants and your female servants, and the Levite that is within your towns, since he has no portion or inheritance with you. Take care that you do not offer your burnt offerings at any place that you see, but at the place that the Lord will choose. In one of your tribes, there you shall offer your burnt offerings, and there you shall do all that I am commanding you. Notice how specific God is being about the time and about the place and about what they are to do. Hey, don't go around just burn offerings wherever you want. Yeah, but God, you're everywhere all the time. Yeah, I don't want it done that way. I'm gonna tell you exactly where to go. We're gonna set up a place and this is where I'm gonna dwell in one of the tribes. And when I tell you where it is, that's where I want it to be done. You guys are going to do all your sacrificing and giving of offerings right there. Pretty specific. But then go down to Deuteronomy 12, 29 to 32. This is the end of the chapter. And God couldn't be any plainer in what he has to say. It says, when the Lord your God cuts off before you the nations whom you go in to dispossess and you dispossess them and dwell in their land, take care that you be not ensnared to follow them after they have been destroyed before you and that you do not inquire about their gods saying, how did these nations serve their gods? That I also may do the same. You shall not worship the Lord your God in that way. For every abominable thing that the Lord hates, they have done for their gods. For they even burned their sons and their daughters in the fire to their gods. Everything that I command you, you shall be careful to do. Notice this. You shall not add to it or take from it. I don't know how God could be any more plain here. Here are the laws that I'm giving you. Don't add any more to them, right? Don't do that, but don't take any away either. Do this that I've laid out for you. Now, these are laws of the Old Testament and a lot of Israel's worship was pointing to Christ of what Christ fulfilled. 
And we know now Jesus, we follow him, we love him, we serve him, and he's fulfilled much of this for us. But when we look in the Old Testament, we see examples of people who took their worship and it was out of order. And there's some difficult things that happened there. If you go to Genesis 4, verses 3 through 6, they'll put it on the screen, but you know the story of Cain and Abel. Right away with the story of Cain and Abel, what was the problem with Cain and Abel? Wrong worship. One of them worshiped well, according to what God had laid out. The other one did not. For whatever reason, whatever Cain brought forward was not acceptable to the Lord. Your worship is out of order. Therefore, I will not accept this as worship. And what, what happens with Cain? What are you talking, what? what are you, what's wrong with my worship? Why is my brother so much better than yours? His is just of the field. Mine, mine is fat and meat and all this good stuff. What are you, what are you talking about? Well, the problem was it was out of order. You're not worshiping how God had told him to worship. Another good example of this is in Leviticus 10, verse one through three. Nadab and Abihu, who choose to worship God in a way that is not worthy, in a way that is not honorable. And we see some dire consequences right away. It says, now Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, each took his censer and put fire in it and laid incense on it and offered unauthorized fire before the Lord, which he had not commanded them. Okay, so they worshiped wrong. So what's the result? And fire came out from before the Lord and consumed them and they died before the Lord. Ouch. Then to make it even worse, then Moses said to Aaron, this is what the Lord has said. Among those who are near me, I will be sanctified and before all the people, I will be glorified. And Aaron held his peace. Aaron just watched his kids die. They died because they did not worship God how God had told them to worship and God consumed them. And Moses reminds Aaron, we can only worship him how we're told to worship. They didn't do that. And Aaron held his peace. Wow. Apparently worship's pretty important. In 1 Samuel chapter 13, verses eight through 15, you remember King Saul. He's waiting on Samuel. Samuel's supposed to come to sacrifice before the battle. King Saul says, Samuel's not coming. I'll do it. I'll sacrifice. Samuel then rolls up. What are you doing? Well, you weren't coming, and I knew we needed to do this before battle in order for God to be on our side, so I just thought I would do it. That's the problem. You thought you would plan how to worship. It's not how this is to be done. Saul, you are rejected. You're rejected. Or 2 Samuel chapter 6, verses 5 through 7 with Uzzah. Uzzah at his house uh, was the Ark of the Covenant. It was held there and the Israel needed to move and they were gonna move the Ark of the Covenant and they chose to not move the Ark of the Covenant how they were told to. They were told to move it with poles and to be carried. Well, technology had gotten a little better and they said, you know what we could do? We could just throw it on a cart and let the oxen carry it. We have wheels. This just makes sense. God can't really care if we carry it with poles or if we carry it on a cart. So they start carrying it with the cart and we don't even know the scene. They hit a bump or something. I don't know if the Ark of the Covenant was slipping. I don't know if, if, uh, if Uzzah just got a little scared, but it says he reached his hand up to stable the Ark of the Covenant and he dies. Death, why? It was told, nobody touched this thing. 
Do not touch the Ark of the Covenant or you will die. Now it seems pretty innocent. Well, did you want it to fall? God's response would be, actually, I didn't want it on a cart at all. You're supposed to carry it with poles. What many commentators say is Uzzah had such a familiarity with the ark because it was in his house. He was just so comfortable seeing it that it had just become another thing. It wasn't this sacred thing that God had established it and called it to be where God will sit on the ark of the covenant and judge Israel. No, it was just something in his house. And they're just moving it to the next town. And he's just gonna touch it real quick so it wouldn't fall down. And God said, no, this isn't the order that I've established for you. You now die. You see, how we worship God is very important. In our private life, in our public life, we must be willing to follow God's order for our worship. And that begs the question, where does that leave us today? All this Old Testament stuff is great, but does it really apply to us now? Well, one of the key places you could go for worship is John chapter four, verse 19 to 23. Jesus with the woman at the well. And it says, the woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you're a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the father in spirit and truth. For the father is seeking such people to worship him. Here Jesus says something that is still binding for us at this very moment. When we gather together to worship him or when you worship him in your private life even, we are called to worship him, yes, in spirit, but also in truth, right? So in truth, well, what is truth? Truth is the word of God. The word of God lays out for us what our worship is to be. We need to know what that is, right? And so today as believers, we're still called to obey God in our public worship, in our private worship. And so one of the questions could be, well, what does that look like in my private worship? Well, I would hearken back to last week. If you were not here with technology today, you can go listen to it. We have it on our website. We have it on our podcast. But I'll re reference you to 1 Peter 1, 15 to 16. You remember, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, such as it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. How do we worship God in our private life? How do we do this? Be holy. You say, yeah, but all the Old Testament laws are fulfilled in Christ. Yeah, but we still have laws. We still have commands that God has given us and very clearly has given us and we must live by those laws and not just see them as a set of, of rules that we must obey, but to see them as very much life-giving. Again, fulfilled in Christ who gives us life, but we go then and serve him and honor him. How? By being holy, obeying him. This is how we glorify him, serving him in the way that he has laid out for us to serve him in holiness, and in uprightness. You see, some of you probably think this morning, I would serve God much better. I'd, I, I would just be doing such a better job if I would be a foreign missionary, right? Or if I would be a pastor, or if I would do this, or if I would do that. No, 
You are called where you are called. And you must serve God faithfully where you are called in holiness and in righteousness. So the cooks over in Papua New Guinea serving the Lord, that's great. But you, stay-at-home mom, serving the Lord, doing your best to be holy, to raise your kids in a way that is honorable, and in knowing the Lord, you're doing just as good work as the cooks are doing over in Papua New Guinea. You, dad, you go off to work, you put in 40 to 60 hours a week, but you do it faithfully. You live your life as holy as you can. You try to serve him and you spend time in prayer and you spend time reading the word of God. You come to church faithfully. You're really honoring the Lord the best you can. Again, I wanna tell you and hopefully encourage you, you're being just as holy as the cooks are over in Papua New Guinea. Why? Because you're doing what you were called to do and you're worshiping God in that. The problem is sometimes we start to tell God, I, I would be better at this and I would be better at that. Whoa, 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 whoa. God has placed order. You are a part of that order. To think that you're of any less value than the missionaries or the pastor or the theologians or whatever it might be, those all have their place and they need to do that if they're called to do it. But you have your place and you must serve God faithfully there. Think about all of the people throughout time who've been faithful to this church, teaching, leading, putting roofs on people's houses, building ramps, bringing food to people's houses, doing all this stuff to care for each other. You mean to try to tell me that you think in your mind that they're less holy and less righteous because they didn't do it in some country that speaks a different language? Right, or because they weren't on stage being paraded around? No, God has used those people so immensely why? Because it's the order that he has set up to serve within the local church as a body and to worship him in this way. Next week, this will be the focus of our message, private worship, as I said, and, and family worship. But what does it mean for our public worship? This is where we'll really spend the most of our time in the rest of the series is on our gathering here, asking questions of like, what is public worship? Why does God gather us together? What are the things that we're to do in public worship, such as Lord's Supper, baptism, preaching, reading the word, prayer, singing, giving, looking at these things and asking, why does God do this? And what are we called to do in these different areas? And are we doing it faithfully, right? What are we to do as we gather in this room? There's positive commands. There are negative commands in scripture. And yes, the fact is, listen, we're not held to all the ceremonial laws of the Old Testament, we don't come in here this morning and do sacrifices. We didn't have like a wash basin outside, even though this might be a good idea, and everybody clean before they come in here. We don't do that. Uh, we don't remind each other of the festivals that are coming up, and hey, we need to make sure Feast of Booths is coming up. Get ready. We don't do that anymore. Why? Christ has fulfilled those things. Remember what he said to the woman. It's not about the place, right? You worship on that mountain. We worship on this mountain. Oh, a time is coming and is here. We will worship in spirit and truth. You see, he took the place out of it. It's actually funny, Pastor Spencer and I were going uh, to visit a family this week and we're driving down, I think it was Sumter Road, maybe? Oh, we're in the middle of nowhere. I'd never been there before. And we're driving down this road and there's a big sign and it said something church and we drive by, just a field. There wasn't even a building there. 
And I was like, well, maybe they just worship in the field. And if you read the sign, the sign said, a church on the move. And we we're like, literally, they got up and went. They took the whole thing. But the truth of the matter is, if they worship in that field without a building, who cares? If the sign is there, but they worship somewhere else, seems foolish to me, but okay, they can do that. Because Jesus clearly states, it's not about the locale. It's about the gathering, the people. As we gather together to worship. And so yes, we can't go to the Old Testament and look at how they worshiped and say, this is exactly how we should worship. No, Christ has fulfilled so much of that. But there are some things that we are to be doing, two of which are very easy to see in scripture. One of which we're gonna be doing this morning. Lord's Supper and also baptism. Uh, These are something that we'll focus on a little more intense in a few weeks together. But I think we would all agree when you read scripture, we see that the New Testament church is called to these ordinances, these things that we are to do when we gather together that again, seem so silly. God, you're telling me there's not a better way to honor you than to eat this cracker and drink this juice. I'm sure all of us in here could think of something better. I can think of something more grand. I could think of something more elaborate. I could think of something that would be so much more beautiful that would just drop people to their knees, couldn't we? No. This is what God has ordained for us to do. When you take the bread, break it, bless it. Do this in remembrance of me. Take the cup, drink it, do this. It's a sign of the new covenant that I've established with you. And when you do it, do it what? Looking forward to the day when I will return, when we will dine together again forever in eternity. Such a simple act, but a commanded act. Look in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Go and turn there. It's the last place I'm going to point you to this morning. And again, we're going to have a whole sermon on Lord's Supper and, and baptism. But since we're observing Lord's Supper this morning, I, I think this is very fitting. First uh, Corinthians 11, we're going to begin in verse 18. <clears throat> it says, for in the first place, when you come together as a church, oh, you stop there. What does it mean to come together as a church? When you gather together, that's what a church is, the gathering. That's the church. This building isn't the church. When we gather, we are the church together. And so already they're gathering together. And Paul says, for in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you. And I believe it in part. For there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. When you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper that you eat. For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. What do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, I will not. Now listen, what I'm gathering from this is the Corinthian church was like, look how good we worship. Look at our Lord's Supper. It is phenomenal. The food is great. The wine is better. And we are having a good time. 
And Paul's like, yeah, you're not doing this right. When you gather together, you are actually sinning in your worship. This isn't how it's supposed to be done. Verse 23, for I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also, he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Now stop there again. Paul's saying, let me remind you the commandment that the Lord has given us on how to worship him. You take bread, you break it, you eat it. You take the cup, you bless it, you drink it and remember him. That's it. That's what you do. And you're not doing it very well. Verse 27. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup in the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning, the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill and some have died. Now let's stop there because I read the Old Testament accounts. Uzzah touches the ark, dead, right? Aaron's sons sent fire, not supposed to do. God says, I'm gonna consume you and consumes them. We look at that and we say Old Testament. Now this is New Testament. And what Paul is telling this church is he's saying, listen, you guys are worshiping so wrong in your Lord's Supper. And you wonder why some of you are sick? You wonder why some of you have died? You died because you're not worshiping how you're supposed to. You're doing this out of order. You are actually worshiping the created, not the creator and what he has told you to do. Let's go on. 31. But if we judged ourselves, truly we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. So then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. If anyone is hungry, let him eat at home, so that when you come together, it will not be for judgment. About the other things, I will give directions when I come. You know, you know what's a common thing today? It's very common to see Lord's Supper being taken in private worship, which is never given in scripture. Paul says, when he's talking about Lord's Supper, every time when you come together, which establishes very clear boundaries, Lord's Supper happens here when the church is gathered. I can't come to your house and give you Lord's Supper. That's not appropriate for me to do. We do it when we are gathered together. Now listen, there's plenty of churches and plenty of denominations that you know of, I'm sure, that do that. They do that. But that is not what God has told us to do in terms of Lord's Supper. Paul repeatedly, when you gather together as the church, take Lord's Supper together. You see, it's an easy little twist. It's an easy little change. During COVID, people are like, but we're not gathering together. We still need to do Lord's Supper. Let's come up with some creative ways to do it. Maybe we can do it over Zoom. You know, maybe, maybe uh, we could do a drive-through experience. 
Maybe we could do these things. Oh, those are great ideas. You think you've got a better idea than God's. That's what you're telling me. See, that was one of the problems with not gathering. By not gathering, we weren't able to do certain things together because then it would have been out of step with how God had designed it and planned it to be. Some might say, well, then who cares? What does Lord's Supper really do? Well, come to the message in a few weeks. I'll tell you about that. But there's a reason we're called to do it together. It's because we need this reminder. We need this reminder. I was sharing in Sunday school today, and I did it a few weeks ago. Today we were talking about like keeping a journal uh, and how that helps your, your memory. And when we were talking about prayer, I had mentioned how forgetful we are and how quick we are to get angry at God when really what he does is blesses us over and over again. Have any of you in your life ever prayed, God, I'd really like to have this job, and you really prayed about it, and God gave it to you? Has that ever happened to you before? Shake your head yes or no if that's happened for you before. Yeah, yeah, no. How many weeks did it take when you said, I hate this job? How many weeks did it take when you were cursing that job? I hate this place. It stinks, it's hot. I don't care about my hours. That guy's making all this money. I'm not making half of that. I'm doing more work than he's doing. This blessing that God had bestowed upon you that you prayed so desperately for, you'd already forgotten it as a blessing. And to you, it was almost a curse. I say, why does God give us order and worship? Why does he give us these things? It's because we forget We need to remember, and God in his great grace has given us something as simple as a cracker and some juice to remind it about the great depths of how much he's loved us, how separated we are from him in our sin, but what he's done to cover that sin with the blood of his son and the body of his son. And this is why we get called to do these things. It's the same with baptism. There's a reason for it. There's the same with preaching. There's a reason we are supposed to preach when we get together. There's a reason we give. There's a reason why we sing. These are all for purposes to glorify him. And God has actually laid down rules and standards for us so that we can know that we are worshiping him well and honorably. There's no guesswork He's laid it out for us. And I hope that we'll see it very clearly as we continue through this series. I hope we'll remember the holy God that we serve, the great lengths that he has went to save you, to save me, and to put us together so that when we gather, we worship him well and honorably. Let's bow together. Let's pray. And then after we pray, and then we'll hand out the, the elements here. God, I thank you this morning for who you are. God, help us to never forget your holiness, your power, your might, your goodness, your mercy, your grace, and your love. God, as we gather together as a church, help us to always be worshiping you and only you, not ourselves, not a person on stage, not an image, but you. God, I'm thankful that today, on the Lord's day, People are gathering all around this world, some outside, some in beautiful buildings, some underground, so they won't be seen. God, all over this world, people worshiping in 
spirit and in truth, honoring you, loving you because of what you've done for them. And God, this morning, it's a privilege for us to be able to worship you. God, as we come now to this time of our service, partake in Lord's Supper, God, help us to reflect and to remember what Christ has done for us, but also the promises that he has left us that he will come again. And so God, as these men hand these out and we, we take these, these cups, I pray that we would ponder that and meditate on that and think on that and to be reminded that all of us in this room this morning, those who've been saved by your grace through faith, we are here united in the name of Jesus. Not in the name of this church or this county, city, reunited in you, and that we'd be thankful for our church family, that we'd love our church family well, care for each other, push each other towards you each and every day in our conversations, in our walk, in our life. So God, I pray that during this time, you would be honored, you would be glorified, that you would help us to know you better. We ask in Jesus' name, amen, amen.